Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Ecos. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Super grateful to have you here. Can you imagine if you were misdiagnosed with a terminal illness, you weren't feeling well and you went to the doctor and they told you that you had something, you believed it and you lived your life thinking you had that. Well, that's what happened to our next guest. Crazy, right? She was misdiagnosed with leukemia, which is pretty mind boggling considered we have the technology to be able to see these things, but no judgment for me. I'm not a doctor, but it just blows my mind that that could even happen. And we get into that with my next guest and really just how emotionally draining and, and how it affected her. I mean, you can imagine how terrible that would be to learn that you have something. And during that time, she lost her best friend also. Now, I don't want to give away the whole story here. We'll get into it. But man, what a crazy story. And it just makes you really look at your own life and be like, it could, it, it literally could happen to any of us, you know? We don't know. We don't have control. My next guest, Lindell Mastro Thompson, she was forced to really go into a dark place and it wasn't easy for her, but now she's been able to come out and now she's better for it and she's able to teach and she's doing some really cool things in the health and wellness space and helping empower people. So I hope you guys get a lot out of this. If you haven't already, go hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, share this with a friend. Let me know you got value from this. I appreciate you guys. And uh, I hope you really enjoy this episode because it was an entertaining one. Coming right up, Lynn Del Mastro Thompson, everybody. Hey, Lynn, how are you? Welcome to the show. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you as well. And you got a pretty powerful story, I got to say. And hearing these kind of stories and that inspirational message that you have is what I feel a lot of people need to hear. And that's why I do this is I love to hear some of the things that we've gone through, but how you've been able to kind of get out of that and, and, and to be able to, to sort of pivot into a, a more positive direction or growth or whatever. So I'm really excited. I would love to hear a bit of a background, maybe tell us a bit about peel back the curtain of your story a little bit. Sure. And um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Okay. So my story kind of begins when I was um, in graduate school. Well, actually, it kind of begins when I was graduating from college. And I decided to go to graduate school because I thought that um, I wanted to be an academic. And looking back on it now, I think I was just scared to be what I thought was a grown up and go out and get a job. And I had always done well in school and I always liked history. So I thought, hey, why not go get more education? <laughs> this would be good. And as soon as I got into that program, I sort of felt out of place. I felt like everybody else around me was really excited and thriving in the program. And I felt like I was kind of lost. Mm. Um, I was thrown into teaching sections of history, like having all of these students that had never been taught how to teach. It was just like, here you go. You have 60 students that you're now responsible for inspiring and helping them learn the content. Go do it. Mm. And then my own classes were very much like, here's a huge stack of books each week that you need to try and read. And I don't know how you're supposed to read like 500 page books in a week, multiple 
stacks of them. <laughs> and that was what it was like. And so my body started to kind of give me some signs that I wasn't in the right place. Uh, I started to have anxiety, depression, um, started to get migraine headaches again, which I had gotten under control. They had been a big part of my teenage years. And then in college, they had kind of become few and far between. But I was just not kind of listening to that. Like I had this sense of, you're not in the right place. But at the same time, I was like, well, I don't know what I want to do. And if I don't have a plan, then maybe I should just keep going with the predetermined plan. So I just mm -hmm. went and went and went. And then in the summer of 2004, um, I was scheduled to have elective surgery and I went in for the pre-op blood work and the night before the surgery, the surgeon calls and he says, there's something abnormal in your blood work. And of course, that's nothing that anyone wants to hear when you're just getting results from blood work. Oh, it's like the <laughs> yeah. worst fear. Yes, exactly. It was like that kind of felt like the beginning of the, the you know, the nightmare movie or the, the horror story, you know, this phone call. And he said, well, you know, sometimes labs make mistakes. So let's send you back over there tonight and, you know, run the labs again just to rule that out. And I was hoping and hoping that was the case, but it wasn't. I get a call back shortly after, you know, they ran the lab stat and he said, yeah, no, it's not a lab error. There's something not right. And at that point, I didn't have any information other than I can't do surgery. Something looks wrong, oh. which is really hard to go to sleep at night. You know, and when he just said, I can't do surgery, you should go see your primary doctor. And it's, it's like you're oh. left in that feeling of like, it could be anything. I don't know what's wrong, but there's something. And that something is significant enough that surgery is off the table right now. So, wow. yeah. And it was basically a, a two week journey from there on. Like I went to the primary doctor, he did more tests. And then I get a phone call from another doctor who I had never met before, which is also a very alarming and strange situation. How many people really get called by a doctor they've never met? and not the office, but the actual doctor. And he said, how are you doing? Uh, a little freaked out. I don't know who you are and why you're calling me. And he said, well, if you don't have any symptoms, I want you to, you can stay home tonight, but come to the hospital tomorrow and check in and I'll meet you there. And it was like, symptoms? Like what kind of symptoms oh. am I supposed to be? Oh man be looking for so it was again kind of that that eerie feeling of a horror movie and that whole night like trying to sleep that night was kind of scary you know trying to know what i was supposed to even be looking for because i think i was so shocked i didn't say to him like so say doctor what sort of symptoms might i be looking for i was just like okay symptoms any kind of symptoms yeah no no bedside manner i just this <laughs> <laughs> just freak you out right? yeah exactly and then well i'll see you tomorrow morning if if you're you know don't have any quote symptoms but right. until then you know otherwise rush yourself to the hospital right wow that blindsided you so you get this news yes right and you're kind of wondering what's going on i can relate with this 100 percent because my dad my dad had cancer and we found out with like a few days you know, we got the diagnosis and it's kind of like you hear things, but you don't know. And you're kind of the unknown. Right. Right. So tell us, you know, what was going through your mind during that time? You know, like when just, you, cause you didn't know yet what you had. Right. 
Right. And I had absolutely zero, like at that point, nothing was physically apparently wrong. You know, it was like, I couldn't look at my body and say something was wrong. I didn't have any like feeling of like pain or discomfort anywhere. I was like, as far as I knew, the day I went to get the pre-op blood work, I was like, yeah, I'm a healthy person just having elective surgery. Mm. Um, So it was just kind of this feeling of the great unknown of like, what could possibly be wrong? And of course, our minds often go to that worst case scenario of like, am I dying? Like, what, why can't they do surgery? Why aren't they not telling me anything? And again, I think that's a big thing in the medical system is not really thinking about the impact that that had on me as a patient and the fear that that created. Um, There could have maybe been a little bit more of like, so, you know, this might be about this. And it was just like, just watch for symptoms. Right. So how did they break the news to you? Well, it took about two weeks of, I was in one hospital and then they referred me someplace else. Wow. Um, they, the first part they figured out was that I had clotted off the veins that drain my liver. And of course, that's not supposed to happen. So they knew that. But then the underlying reason why they had that had happened, they were still trying to figure out. And also the hospital where I was, like they have a procedure where they can go in and take a balloon like they do in your heart and open up those veins. But they had never really done that on anybody at that particular hospital. So they're like, we should send you someplace where they've actually done this on someone. And I was like, yeah, I think that's probably a a good idea. I'm glad I'm not your guinea pig. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And so I was sent to another major medical center, you know, where they had done that. Yeah. And the process continued for a good week in that hospital because they still had to do more tests and figure out like, you know, people don't just clot off that vein without something causing it. But what was that cause? Hmm. And so about, yeah, a week or 10 days into that hospital, second hospital stay at the different hospital, the doctor that was the head of the team, because of course a big medical center, you have a whole team working with you, came in and he said that they thought what the diagnosis was, was a type of leukemia. Did you know much about leukemia beforehand? Um, my mind immediately went to, you know, all of the images of, you know, people having bone marrow transplants and going through chemotherapy. And so I remember, I mean, that, that minute after, um, he delivered the news felt like probably the longest minute in my head ever, you know, like all of these things just started happening in my head. I was picturing like having to have chemo and do all of these treatments and, you know, like seeing myself bald and sick and like, just in that moment, you know, before he could even say what the treatment plan was, my head just pictured like this whole thing of that was what was going to happen. And you're pretty much living what people's worst nightmare is hearing it like that, you know, like you you kind of went that, what you're talking about there is kind of like what people always, you know, you kind of think about that you may have, or you may like, you know what I mean? Like you think you kind of over-exaggerating things are worse than they are. Right. But when it was that actual thing, right, it was then like, my brain went like completely crazy into yeah. Like what know? happened? What happens to your thought process at that point? Because that's what interests me. Because sometimes people, I've heard, sometimes people almost get a sense of calming. Though sometimes people go like it, it all depends on the reaction. Yeah, like 
you know, and that fascinates me how, how some people, when they actually know they have it, it's like they don't freak out, but some people do. I definitely was freaking out. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> and actually a part of the story that I've only started talking about recently is in that moment when I thought that I was going to have to have the, the treatment that I just described of, you know, chemotherapy and maybe a bone marrow transplant. Wow. I actually had a moment of thinking I wanted to just kill myself. Wow. Like I didn't, I was like, if that's what I have to do, like that sounds horrible and I don't want to go through it. Wow, I, that's it's not that far off for people to think that. I mean, you're right. real. I mean, everybody. I I don't know. I can't speak for everybody, but I know that if you're in that situation, of course, that thought would come across your mind because you got to go through hell. You got to go through chemo. You got to go through. Of course, people are like, "Well, that's just the reality of it." What was what was the next step once you found that out? So the next step was actually like came really fast because the doctor described the treatment and then all my worst case scenario of like, oh, I'm going to have to have all of this horrible treatment quickly was like kind of that was put to the side because he said, well, you don't have to go through chemotherapy. Like they have this medication that they've developed recently that targets this particular type of leukemia. And so it's just a pill. Like you don't mm -hmm. have to do this whole thing. And that felt like a relief from where my mind initially went. And I, I didn't jump to that. Okay. I'm like, I can take a pill. Like I, I can do that versus this whole thing that I just had imagined in my head. Okay. So you decided to take that route. Was it more of like a natural or is it more like, had they tested it or, you know, like, was it those, one of those things that are like, Brand well, new. We, have the, we have this thing. <laughs> Do you want to take this? I mean, is that what kind of happened? No, it was it was something that had been tested and okay. used before. So it was, you know, it was relatively new. But yeah. It, but it was nothing I had ever heard of because I had never researched, you know, right wow. modern treatment for that type of disease. Wow. Yeah. So I went that route and I took the pill and it was it it had a lot of the same side effects though as if you were going through chemo. So I had a lot of like nausea, especially was the big thing. Like I I spent a lot of days just feeling like you know it was hard to eat food because I just was sensitive to everything. Like if mm -hmm. I didn't time the pill just right around when I ate, then it was like I just felt really sick and nauseous. So how did you stay? How did you get through that? Like how did your mindset? Like, how did you keep yourself grounded? How did you not panic and freak out? It was in the beginning, I did panic and yeah. freak out. You know, I mean, I had my family. Uh, my parents had been with me when that was happening. Um, and so we all kind of were trying to find, like, we called it the new normal. Like, okay, what does life look like now? Like, how can we find some sort of sense of normalcy in the midst of like this two week experience that was just like feeling like your whole life was flipped upside down and you're like, okay, I don't know where I am now in, in the world. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, and it didn't stop there for you, right? No, it didn't. <laughs> so I called that part at, at this yeah. point, looking back my cosmic two by four, cause it was like, wake up. Yeah. And then the next year when I was still kind of in the middle of like trying to find my footing and, you know, like trying to figure out how to live. And I still was going to grad school because I didn't really know what to do at that point. And it was hard to make a decision ultimately when I still was not feeling well. Um, so about, it was probably a little over 12 months actually after the diagnosis, maybe like 14, 15 months, uh, my best friend passed away very suddenly. Mm. 
And that I was just like, now I call it the nuclear bomb in my life because it was like, my life had already been kind of destroyed and then that completely just shattered everything to feel like I went from kind of one horrible experience to losing somebody who was as close to a sister as I ever had. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the universe works in strange ways sometimes, <laughs> test, testing you, right? Yes, so it does. That's, that's, a, that's a massive blow, obviously, to your... So I can't even imagine going through that. How did you... You must have had amazing support from your family, from other friends, because that's like two blows that are like completely can shatter anybody. Right. Yeah. And I initially, I sunk under the weight of it for several months. I mean, I just kind of got really depressed. I got to the point, I kind of refer to it as almost like suicide by self-neglect where I was like not taking medication. I wasn't really eating regularly. I was kind of just hoping that I would just die. Like wouldn't take a pill and kill myself or, you know, do anything physically to harm myself. But I was also like, it would just be easier if I just let myself kind of disappear from life. Well, again, that's that I believe in your situation. That's a normal thought. Yes. Yeah. That's, I wouldn't feel bad about thinking that at all because I can't say that I wouldn't think the same way at that situation. Right. Like, what do I have to live for? You know, I think that was kind of at the heart of it was feeling like, what do I have left to live for? Like I'm sick and I lost someone really important. And the irony of that whole situation was she died of a blood clot that they had never found. And she had somewhat of like some of the same blood stuff that I had in, in my history. So it was, it struck very close to home because wow. it was like, I also realized, you know, 26 year old young women can just die. And I kind of came face to face with that fact and and the losing of her was like, that could happen to me. I could just die like tomorrow. It can happen to any of us. Exactly. But, you know, we we think when we're young, you know, we're, we're invincible or, you know, that won't happen to me. And then it was like, yeah, it could happen to me. So from that point, you know, you're, you're at a low point, you know, you're going through this treatment, you lost your friend. Did you, did anything else crazy happen or did you start to, that was kind of the I rock bottom moment, you know, or, or my breakthrough moment. Um, after a couple months after she passed, like my parents finally convinced me, you know, you're super depressed, you really need help. So it was Thanksgiving of 2005 around then that they convinced me to go into an inpatient uh, care facility for about five days, mental program. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, I used to feel shame around that. And I'm like, no, I should No, I? that's normal. <laughs> Think about that yeah. situation. Yeah, exactly. And I like to say that now because it's like so many people feel shame around it. But, oh, you know, at the time it was like, I, I felt like, oh, I couldn't tell anybody that I went into an inpatient program for five days. Um, well, some people would rather go and medicate with a bottle of booze instead. True. For drugs, right? I mean, right. like that's the other alternative. Right. So that actually takes courage to go and do that, what you did. Right, right, for sure. And kind of fix fix what's happening, even if it's just temporarily. Just be like, whoa, okay, hold on. We need to like reset. Right, right? and find some, you know, and what I realized, kind of my breakthrough in that five days was realizing that I didn't actually want to die. I just had no idea how to live in the wake of all of this. Like I was literally drowning in a sea of like emotion and trauma 
And it was like, how, I don't know how to swim in this. Like, how am I supposed to get through this? Well, what shifted? What was the shift? The shift was just, first of all, realizing that and then starting. How did you realize it though? Because, you know, we're, we're in that, we get down that, that road and, you know, I lost a brother to suicide, dad to cancer. I could like, there's times where you get down that self-loathing, I'm a victim mode, right? And it's mm-hmm. real easy to stay in there. Right. For and sure. then all of a sudden there's something that sort of snaps you and you're like, wait a minute, that realization, you know, what was that? Was that family? Was that like, was that a book? Was that something? It was, it was actually in the therapy. I don't yeah, remember it? what, it was in a session when yeah. I was in that five days and, and something that the therapist said to me kind of unlocked that for me okay. so that I could kind of see in that moment. It was like, oh yeah, it's not that I really want to die. I'm just like, when you're in overwhelm, you, you just don't know what to do. And it's like, the pain is so much, you just would rather die than oh, have yeah. to face it. Like you're, all these things are stacked up against you. Right. It's like, what do I, you know, and then that feeling of what do I have to live for right now? You know, like I, I'm sick. I don't feel well. Cause I had lost like a lot of weight. Um, I wasn't feeling well. And then, you know, I lose someone who I felt like was one of the few people I could really talk to and confide in. I mean, she didn't mm. live near me, but we would talk on the phone for hours. Yeah. Wow. What was it that she said? You know, this is where I like, I like that because that light bulb thing, like, was it <laughs> that you have, like, what was the lesson that you, that you kind of took and from then on, you know, you just sort of applied, was it, did you start kind of rolling with? I think the lesson was just like, you have to learn how to like feel the feelings and not just mm. drown in them. You know, like that was what the therapy process was for me in those five days. And then in this, the months after where I went into seeing a, a therapist and as an outpatient that it's okay to feel that way and it's part of growing right and and I always this is one of the things I teach people is like whatever we don't feel and heal like it gets stored in our bodies and so I you know you have to get it out you have to see it and feel it and move through it or else you're just stuck Mm. you're stuck in it and it'll be with you forever and it'll keep making you sick in all likelihood so walk us through that process of how you kind of put yourself back together, so to speak, right? You're in a pretty, you're in a pretty vulnerable, low state. You go into this place for a few days. You probably have a lot of judgment. You probably think everybody's judging you, right? You're these conversations with ourselves are sometimes the worst ones. Right. They're not what, they're not as bad as what we, you know, what we think, but walk us through maybe the, the, the process of how, how you're able to sort of transform yourself into kind of like your next level. So, you know, that five days was kind of that realization and that stabilization. Um, And then after that, I started seeing a therapist like three times a week. And that was just really deep therapy of like going into what had happened in 2004 with the diagnosis, how I felt about it, because I hadn't really processed it at that point. You know, it was like, it was the thing that happened and it had kind of destroyed me in some ways, but I was like, just trying to kind of keep going. And at that point I realized, no, I have to actually look at it. I have to look at how I felt about it and all of the things that it changed in my life rather than just be like, oh yeah, this is how my life is now. Mm. How do I feel about that? Am I willing to look at it and, and address all of the things that I was pretty much grieving over for the change in my life? 
So you pretty much, you developed the self-awareness of what was mm-hmm. happening, but what are some of the tools like maybe that you still continue to do? Like what are some of the things that allowed you, because a lot of times we can go back into that faulty programming uh, and, and self-worth and limited beliefs, but we have to do those daily things to kind of keep us through. Is it, what are those, was there some certain specific practices that you had that really helped you kind of stay on track? Um, well, around that same time, I actually started also working with some other alternative therapies mm. and that those are kind of the things that have stuck with me. So I went back actually to seeing somebody who did biofeedback. So hooking mm. me up to sensors and, and looking at kind of how my physiology was responding to stress or how could I calm myself down. So I learned kind of how to regulate my nervous system in essence by seeing it on a screen first and then learning how to feel what that felt like to be calm. Did you, did you have to change your diet as well? You know, foods that kind of lowered your, your vibration, you know, probably avoid, or was there other, other things um, like meditation I or? I didn't really get into kind of nutrition at that point, okay. um, but I did, my therapist actually said, go to this class at the yoga studio in town. And she said, it's called yoga for healing. And I was like, what? Yoga for what? Because <laughs> my experience with yoga up to that point had been like seeing people do it in a gym setting. Like right. I had never gone to a yoga studio. I didn't know that there were many different forms. And I thought, when she first said it, I almost probably wanted to laugh at her thinking, you know, you think I'm going to be able to do this yoga that I perceived as like working out when I felt so, you know, weak and, you know, not able, not physically capable. And she said, no, I want you to go because it's different than that. Mm. And, you know, a lot of it was just like laying on the floor, like in supported poses, like doing guided visualizations and meditation And that was definitely one of the things that changed my life as well was like learning. I I viewed that experience as learning how to be in my body in a different way. The the previous, you know, year and a half had been like my body was the enemy and I felt horrible and didn't feel at home. And in that class, I began to like become friends with my body in a small way to begin with. It was like, I can lay here and breathe and maybe find a little bit of comfort and ease in my body, you know, some days more than others. <laughs> mm, what other practices, like, um, what other sort of natural practices or holistic practices did you, did you take? I find that very interesting because, you know, our bodies are amazing instruments. Yes. Yes. And they need to be tuned properly. And these little, th- these other things can tune them in different ways that we didn't know possible. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was when I started experiencing um, going for acupuncture as well. Like Mm. I had heard of, you know, what acupuncture was, but I had never, you know, in the past thought, oh, I should try acupuncture. And I got to that point. I was like, I still don't feel well from what they're doing at the doctor's office. Like maybe there's something else. And so, and acupuncture did help me. It did help my body to feel better and, and rebalance in certain ways that, you know, just taking that pill, was not helping. Was there any mentors that you looked up to? Any people that you kind of, that you would listen to for positive, you know, programming or books or anything that had an impact on you? Um, 
I think it was just more the people that I was working with directly. Yeah. Like that yoga teacher had a profound yeah. inf- impact on my life. And she was just a person that held a lot of beautiful space as well. So just mm-hmm. like being in her presence, you know, now I can tell like people who have a very healing presence and energy. Um, that was kind of one of my first experiences with that. I was like, it just felt good to be around her. And now, now I get why. <laughs> it's amazing, right? When you, when you meet people with that energy and it's, it's funny, once you start to go down that rabbit hole, you become a lot better at understanding that, that intuition and that energy feeling mm-hmm. that it's not just an accident. Like right. it actually, the more you meditate and the more you get in tune, like yoga is so important because this basic foundation of moving your body and feeling these things allows those channels to open up, right? Yes. And it allows you to kind of feel that energy. So you can almost, you really appreciate that, that high vibe energy, but you can also feel like the, the energy suckers. Right. It's like, yeah. Ooh. Yep. You know, like what's this person up to? It's right. Like- <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like a girl who grew up in Idaho. So I was like not exposed to really any of that. You know, For it was sure. a very, very limited yeah. place to be where you didn't see, you know, people doing Reiki on every corner or, you know, there wasn't, I don't remember seeing a yoga studio or anything like that. Yeah. Well, most people, that's the case. Right. And it's up to anybody that's been through that and seen that, what it's done to kind of spread the, I I love having these conversations about this because, you know, somebody out there might be listening and then they've never tried it. And I just know I was very stubborn. I was very, that stuff doesn't work, this and that. And it it really has helped me a lot. And like, just to be able to sit still and breathe Mm -hmm. and just to be able to, you know, feel your body for what it is instead of going and having to constantly go for these external circumstances to fill this gap that we try to fill. And if you just do the basic things like sitting and breathing or moving your body like yoga, it's, it's amazing, you know? Yep. Yep. And how long some of these, you know, methods have been around, you know, how many hundreds or thousands of years that. Yeah. Yeah. And they just kind of got pushed under the wayside just in the last I don't know how many years. And then, you know, surprise, surprise, the big companies just have, just sell the big drugs and take right. the drug, take the drug. Don't worry about, you know, the root. Anything else. <laughs> yeah. Don't fix it at the root here. Just take no. a band aid. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then get sick from, and then get the side effects for something else. Take another thing, take another yeah. thing after that. And then you're just part of the program. Right? Yeah. Yep. And then, Oh no, you can never fix that. You need this. Like, it's just such BS. Yes. I'm it drives glad, me crazy. <laughs> I'm glad we're all waking up. People are figuring it out and you got to, you know, take your, your health in your own hands. And there's so many ways to do it. And yeah, it's what a journey. And, and I mean, we're still learning and we're just scratching the surface. So mm-hmm. where, so how are you feeling now? What's, what's happening? What's, what's going on these days? So, well, kind of the other big part of the story was that in 2007, so three years into the diagnosis, I actually found out that that wasn't even the correct diagnosis, that I had been misdiagnosed. Wow. Yeah. So that that brought all sorts of feelings of, you know, both relief because I kind of had known for a while that something felt wrong. Mm. um, And part of that was I also had a doctor who didn't listen to me. Like I was like, I still don't feel well. And he would, I, every appointment would drive me crazy. Cause he would say, Oh, well, how are you feeling? And I'd say, I still feel horrible. I don't feel well. And he'd go, Oh, well you look great. 
I'm like, in what book is that an appropriate response to somebody who says they don't feel well? Mm. Especially from a doctor, you know, it's like, wow, this person still doesn't feel well. I wonder what's going on that she doesn't feel well. Maybe we should talk about that. So what what was his excuse? Like what how do they did how do they mess that up? Like what what did it end up being? So it was a different type of blood disorder and the the interesting thing is what they had the leukemia that they had diagnosed me with was has never been associated with causing the clotting off of the portal veins of the liver. This other diagnosis has been many times correlated with that. Mm. So ultimately, as far as what we figured out, it was maybe a false lab, like a, either my test tube got switched or it was a false positive on something. And they based everything in the diagnosis off of one lab test versus oh, all wow. of the evidence. That doesn't give me much faith no. in the system. And especially when I went back, it was probably a year and a half, maybe two years into being treated for that. And I went back to the hospital that had made the diagnosis and I wanted to talk to them about how I was feeling and they didn't reevaluate anything. They were just like, Oh, that's what you got. Just, you know, you're like, I would like somebody to look at this again and with fresh eyes. And first of all, I got to that appointment and there was no information in my chart. Literally it was a file folder that was empty with no medical oh, records. Wow. in it. Oh, wow. Blind leading the blind. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So, so you're probably, what are you, you're feeling a little bit, you're almost, you got to be feeling like betrayed, let down, but happy that it's not that, like what was going through your mind? It was you, very you, mixed. I mean, like, it what was, a weird situation. It was, I was, you know, angry, pissed, you know, basically almost rage to some degree at them for not getting it right the first time for not listening to me when I kind of had that sense of like something still is not right. You know, they're saying that everything looks good in my lab results. Then why do I still feel so horrible? Like how do those two things meet? But then relieved because yeah. it wasn't that. And then I also knew what it was. So they could actually start to address that, which, you know, had it been addressed three years earlier, I probably would have also physically felt better. So they were actually going to give you chemo and they didn't even know if it was cancer or not. Well, I mean, they were going to give me like a chemo drug basically and a pill without them even knowing for sure that it's chemo or that it's, it's that it was leukemia. that type of leukemia. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I know. And that I just, that just really just is the icing on the cake because for, for having faith in that system, you know, and that goes back to my story with my dad too. You know, he had these pains for a few weeks. Nobody knew. He went to a functional doctor, went to his GP. They're like, oh, stop being a hypochondriac. Stop worrying so much. Two doctors, you know, from both sides, functional and, and GP, nothing. They get to the hospital. He's got two days. He's got pancreatic cancer that's been there for probably months, you know, and he had no idea. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how, how, is this, how is that possible? Right. How, how are you like, what are you guys doing? Like how I don't understand. Like it, it's just, I hear this stuff over and over and over yeah. again. As and do I. It's like, so what are, you know, what do we do from here? Right? Like what, how do people take things in their own hands? You know, what, what, how do, how do we get, how do we do, how do, where do we go from here? I always, one of the biggest things I say is you have to be your own best advocate 
in the system. You know, if you have to deal with the medical system and you're going through that, like, don't be afraid to fire doctors. That's one thing that I didn't think I could do um, in my early 20s. And then now I'm like, I will not hesitate to like say, nope, you're not going to be on my care team anymore. I'll find somebody different. Yeah. And what gets also as crazy is that when, when these patients are super sick, you can see them being fed like a bunch of sugar and crap and like probably the worst quality food on planet yes. earth that you wouldn't feed. You wouldn't, you want to feed your dog on a bad day, right. but they're feeding humans that need nutrition more than anything. Most of it's yeah. Like chemically made, you know, I mean, like stuff, jello the, and like yeah. this, like this crap that looks like it's from like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, how is that even a thing? Like, how does that hospital food even a thing? I don't know. Or all of the things that are the drinks that are made for different things, like, you know, for people with diabetes or for, you know, elderly people who need nutrition. And it's like, you read the list of ingredients and it's just all chemicals. Like, yeah. how is the body supposed to do anything with that other than get sick, more sick? And then someone has the nerve to say, oh, you better not eat too much avocados or coconut oil because there's fat in there. It's like, <laughs> oh, wow. Like, I, I don't know. I could go down that rabbit hole for hours. It drives me crazy. But I right. guess all you can do, yeah. you, can't, you can't change what other people think. All you can do is empower yourself and to lead by example and, and show and teach other people the best you can, right? I mean, you, yeah. this is just the system we're in. And these conversations like this are what really, you know, changes people's perspective on things. And when you hear enough of these stories, it's like, all right, okay, enough is enough. I need to think this through differently now, right? Yes, for sure. So, okay, so now you have this, you have this, you still have this issue? Or have um, you... Yes, it's current. It's it's something that has a genetic aspect to right, it. So okay. um, I ultimately believe anything can heal. Um, it's too. just the, the speed at which the body can do something where there's like an actual genetic change is a to me it's going to be more complicated but i've i've healed in a lot of ways like i've recovered a lot of health yeah um and i ultimately believe it will completely go away and that's that's what i focus on every day and i keep doing all the healing work to get the density I, basically the body is dense so sometimes when things are in the tissue it could take time you must read dr joe dispenza oh yes <laughs> <laughs> He's such an incredible, incredible leader of thought. One of the most important humans on the planet right now, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I I saw him speak. He was here in Portland. Oh, really? You went to that? Oh, man, was, I want to go. I, I didn't go to a, it wasn't a week long because that actually sold out before I even knew the tickets were on Same. Sale. I know. I was going to do the same thing. I was like, what? Because somebody I knew commented, oh, the tickets sold out in like 40 minutes. And I went, tickets were on sale? What? Well, now wait until he blows up even more. Like he hasn't even been, like he's showing up on all these big podcasts now, but like he- He's still at a, like he hasn't even blown up to his full potential yet. Right. It's going to be like impossible to get into yeah. his stuff. Yeah. So it's um he's going to have to change his format. I think like kind of like how Tony Robbins does it, where it's like I don't I don't know, but there's going to be so many people that want that experience. Right. Cause right. Probably, I mean, some of the results. I mean, it's, those stories of people just cancer gone, like yeah, that, that week of being there. It's like well, he's taking a mystical concept and providing science with it and bringing it together so yes. that it's actual, tangible stuff happening. 
Right. And I've done Kundalini yoga, which is a lot of the same stuff, moving, moving the energy systems through holds and breath work. Mm-hmm. And it's been around for thousands of years, this stuff. Right. And it just, but to take that sort of mystic kind of gurus, that, that perspective out of it and kind of bring it into like, he's, he explains it so well. Yes. And he talks about it so, illustrates it so well that even somebody like myself that's hard to wrap my head around certain things, I have to hear it. Certain people I can connect with and he's one that just, the way he says it is just amazing. And yeah, he has the gift of kind of explaining concepts in a way that really I think lands for a lot of people. So, yeah, no, for sure. So what are you, what's going on now? What do you, what, what, what do you put your heart into now? What's, what, you know, what's going on? So I'm putting my heart into, I'm just launching my own podcast actually, which is titled after the same title as my book, You Are Not Your Diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So I'm really diving deeper into kind of that message and wanting to reach more people with kind of my my story and the message that chronic illness doesn't have to be forever. Um, Just because the doctor says that, it's like, that's BS. You know, and I like the, I like that because that's a, that message can be used in so many other areas of your life. Yes. You aren't your past. You yes. aren't the story that you were before. That was just a persona that you decided to participate with for a while or a box that you decided to live in, but that's not, doesn't have to be you, right? It's exactly. part of your story, but it doesn't define you. And right. I like that. I like how that, how that fits because that's so many people get caught up in that, right? Yep. And that's ultimately, I mean, at the core of the work that I do, it's about shedding all the layers of the stuff that's not us. You know, usually people start with the doorway of it's like, it's the health that usually brings us to that point of exploring things. But when you realize the full potential of like, what can shift in your life? It's like, why stop it? Just, oh, I feel better physically. It's like, well, how can I get rid of even more stuff that I don't want to carry around for the rest of my life? So tell us some of the stuff you work with on a daily basis then, like what, you know, so I, walk us through a little bit. Sure. I work a lot with autoimmune conditions. That seems to have been kind of a specialty that just chose me to, <laughs> I started noticing that was all the patients, all the clients that I was attracting. A lot of them were women with autoimmune disease. And so going from that place of like, I have one client, we've been working together almost a year now. And she's gone from a list of medications that was like two and a half pages long to she's taking two medications now. And Mm -hmm. one of them is a seizure medication. So, you know, that's something that sometimes can be hard. She actually had surgery to, to heal or to remove part of the brain that was causing the seizures and they've improved, but they're still there. So how, how important has nutrition been in your program? Like, have you addressed it as being a factor? I definitely see it as a factor. I'm, I'm not trained as a nutritionist. So usually if I get the sense somebody that doesn't really isn't familiar with the nutritional aspect and like anti-inflammatory diet and the importance of that, then I will refer mm. them to a colleague who can work with them on that level. Well, it's not even always what they need to add in. It's like just eliminate right. the crap. Right? right. Like if you're, if you're getting anxiety and you're getting all this crazy autoimmune, but you're, you're going out and you're eating, you know, bur- you know, hamburgers from McDonald's yes. and stuff and pizzas. I mean, I don't know, call me crazy, but that may cause a lot of flare up. Right. And right. a lot of people want to look for this magic pill, but it's like, well, wait a minute, eliminate some stuff first. Right. Give your body a chance to li- give it a chance to fight the good fight here. Just let it 
you know, and that's why I, I found with like fasting as well and eliminating stuff for a bit. And then you kind of see like, okay, well, it's affecting me. And then you add it back in and then you're like, ah, that thing doesn't sit well with me. You know? Right. And then you realize it's not really, because a lot of people struggle with that. Well, it would be really hard to give up this food. I really like it. But then you realize how much worse you feel. And is that really worth it? Like, do you really yeah. want to feel in pain every day? Or would you rather just give up that food and feel a lot better? People are more they want to go for that short-term pleasure than the long-term happiness of eliminating those things. Exactly. You know, and the dopamine hits. Right. The, the dopamine quick... hits are the, the kind of emotional eating pattern too, you know, where it's yeah. just, oh, I'm sad. So I'm going to eat my feelings. I'm lonely, you know, and I still like, I'm pretty in tune with my diet, but there's times at night where like, you know, I live by myself now. I, I got out of a relationship and I'm like, I feel a little bit lonely. I feel like eating, you know, it's a weird thing. Right. You get this time of night where it's like, I'm like, but you're not even hungry. Like, what do you, what is going on? Why do you But there's that? a part of your brain that's yeah. like, wouldn't that thing be good? That thing wouldn't that's that, sitting there in the fridge. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that whole container of almond butter be a good thing right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or that whole block of cheese. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, but those are the things in life. And it's like, it's all great to do that stuff, but it's the choices, right? It's your choice. It's like, well, what's more important, mm-hmm. right? Is, is getting a good sleep and letting my body relax for that period of time more important? Or is feeding that urge to get that, that little bit of dopamine before bed and it's going to affect my whole sleep? Is that going to be more important? Right. You know, and it's kind of like, yeah. the, it's your choice, but like what consequence, what would you rather have, right? Exactly. And some people, it's hard to get past that initial thing. Totally. I had an experience. I went, it was like a, a kind of a cleanse program. Yeah. And I realized like, I think it was like day two or three. I was like, wow, all of these cravings are all just my mind. Totally. It was, you know, my body was like, yeah, I'm good. You don't need to yeah. give me anything right now. And, but my mouth was like, oh, but but the thing would taste so good. I mean, mm. chocolate right now would just be so delightful. And my brain was like feeding into that too. Well, certain foods have addictive chemicals in them though on yes. purpose, right? Like oils, these nasty oils cause you to be hungrier than you need to. I've tested it. I've done it. I've, I've eaten, literally I've eaten food that I know is cooked in some sort of canola or some sort of vegetable crap. And it's actually not only triggered like, emotionally like i get a little bit irritable but it's also made me more hungry than i would normally like it's very bizarre there's a there's a there's scientists that design this so that you'll be hungry non-stop wow. you shouldn't like there, there there's some crazy stuff out there and i've just tested it and tested it now i've realized which foods bring on the cravings and which mm-hmm. ones don't and you have a little bit of this it's going to want your body it's going to want more sugar is the worst oh yeah you you put sugar in your body and it's like okay well how do you stop you can't yep it's, <laughs> it gets, it's addictive it's yeah. yeah i mean there are things out there that say it's more addictive than like cocaine right so it's the dopamine and once you give yourself that and and it's it becomes really interesting how some foods will trigger people's cravings for other foods too mm-hmm. and that's why if you eat stuff like fast food, you'll notice that if you eat that, you're going to start to crave that more often. Right. You're going to be like, oh, that's not so bad. But if you can, if you eliminate it for a long time, it's not even on your radar. You're like, I don't even want to look at that stuff. It's really crazy how that affects our brain chemicals. Yep. It is. The more I don't eat certain things, the more I'm like, oh, I'm okay with that. (laughs) You know, like in the beginning, you're like, that looks so good when somebody's eating it in front of you. And you're like, I really would like to eat that. And now I'm like, eh. 
that's fine. I don't have to eat that. I'm good. Yeah, for sure. Well, where can everybody find you? So the best place to find me is my website, which is heartfirehealingllc.com. Love it. Yeah. And how deep are you on your podcast now? How many episodes have you released? Um, today is, I just recorded episode two. So yeah, awesome. I'm a newbie. <laughs> that's great. You know, and, and I, I love that. And that's exciting because, you know, you get to connect with people, you get to have more conversations and yes. share your story. It's a beautiful thing. So congratulations on starting that. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to actually, uh, I'm not going to have a ton of guests, but I have a guest lined up that I'm going to do an interview tomorrow. So cool. And you can always do solo ones too. Like, you know, you that's can... kind of what I'm mostly planning to do. And cool. then like the right guests that feel like the right conversation to have as part of kind of the broader umbrella of you are not your diagnosis. I'm excited to have certain people to. I like that. There's a, there's a, there's a big, there's a lot that you could go down with that. That's awesome. A lot of people that that you could talk to. Is there, what about social media? Can we find you on social media? Yeah. The kind of most popular place I'm on is uh, Facebook. Cool. Heart, Heartfire healing is where you'd find me. Awesome. So I got one more question and, and then we'll wrap it up out of all the adversity and challenges you had. What lesson have you, what is your takeaway lesson from adversity that you face in your life? I think it goes back to that feeling of that idea. You have to feel it to heal it. Like you have to get in there and healing has to happen by looking at the things that we want to hide in the closet and shove, you know, in dark places and be like, that is really scary or painful and I don't want to look at it. But if you don't unpack that, how will you heal? Mm. Well said. Yeah, that's so true. So true. Well, I really appreciate this conversation. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it as well. Your, your, um, your story is powerful. And, you know, I admire that because I, I love sharing my story. And I find just personally, the more I share it, the more it helps me heal too, you know, and it helps people. For Sometimes sure. we discredit our story as not being as impactful as we think, but, you know, there's that, it's inspiring and we really got to own it. It's what we are too, right? Right. And All those, those things brought us to where we are. Exactly. So you got to almost be grateful for it. As, as crazy as it is, right? I actually like, wrote an article saying, you know, that was actually one of the best things that could have happened to me, even though at that time I wouldn't have never have said that, you know? Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'll make sure to have, we'll have everything in the show notes for to check you out and make sure to check out the podcast, everybody. It's going to be amazing. You aren't your diagnosis. That's how you say it. You are not your diagnosis. You are not. Yeah, perfect. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that episode. And leave us a review. Subscribe. Share it with a friend. All that good stuff. I love you guys. I appreciate you. Catch you next time. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.